And this is uh, Psalm 127 is one of the songs of ascent. The Psalms, Psalms 120 through Psalms 134 were psalms that were, um, they were sung, many believed that they were sung on, while, um, while pilgrims were on their way to Jerusalem. And so they were, they were, a, they were an anthem, as it were. It was a yearly, um, actually there were three particular feasts that all males were required to appear in Jerusalem. And so on more than one occasion, without the course of a year, how many people know repetition is a good thing? How many people know that habits are actually learned through repetition? Uh, structure is a really important part of our life. Uh, I heard something from a pastor friend of mine had sent me a, uh, a sermon of a friend of his in, in New York, an older gentleman, really big into the Word of God, which I am as well, and was sharing some things about the structure we lay up within our lives. And he says, the, the unfortunate thing in the American church today is that we have, we have forsaken discipleship for convenience. We've forsaken discipleship for convenience. Some people know discipleship requires work. It requires commitment. Honestly, I think, I think a generation, you know, we, we see what the armed forces do with young men, people that live just completely undisciplined lives, and all of a sudden they get structure within their lives. And what happens? They, they are able to do incredible feats, and then they're actually set up for success once they're done with military service, right? Now, I, I don't agree with all the methods that are used, but I do know this, that, that our lives require a breaking in order for us to be able to have structure. Uh, we, we develop bad habits over our lives. We develop bad habits from the, the houses we grow up in. We just move patterns, and some of us are going to learn that are young who are eventually going to get married and realize that not everybody has good habits. You know, we, we carry traits over and behavior that we've learned. And some of those things need to be broken. We learn how to be um, disobedient and to um, despise authority in the culture and the generation in which we live in. It's all over the, all over the news constantly. Um, it's all over bumper stickers, any type of authority that's set up in our lives, and we reject authority. In fact, you've seen the bumper sticker question authority. It becomes the very nature and the foundation of a, of a culture is... Um, don't trust anybody and don't listen to anybody. You know, make create your own path. And actually, it's a very dangerous thing for a Christian because we're actually not called into um, a democracy or a republic. We're called into a kingship or a lordship and a kingdom. And where a king is the one who's leading and directing our lives because he's the only one who knows how to do it right. Right? I feel thank God for Jesus that he knows every way in which we've been tempted, yet he himself was without sin. I want to follow that direction, don't you? He knows everything that we are, have experienced in our human frailties, and he knows how to lead us. But we need discipleship in our life, don't we? And so repetition is a good thing within our life. Learning how to develop godly habits is going to be really important for us as God's people. We're starting a new year, and many times we, with those new years comes New Year's resolutions, or at least a conscious desire to make positive changes in our lives and to cut off negative things. Amen? Is there anybody in this room right now trying to to make some new paths and some, create some new habits. Raise your hand at me if you're, if you're with me. And uh, when we get a chance, if somebody could turn that, we could turn the air off now before we freeze everybody out. It's comfortable temperature now. Um, but, but most of us are, you know, looking at my diet, right? I know what to do. I don't always do what I'm supposed to do. Amen? I've been given a good foundation through information that's been passed on to me by others get cookies, right? (laughs) 
for some of you, it's coffee or brownies or, or, or donuts. You know, it, we have those, those things that are, that are always there. And, you know, the same thing is true in our spiritual life. You know, you, you notice that the candy is placed at the register at the grocery stores. That's not an accident. You know, when you go to any of these stores, you notice how all the junk food is, is as you're checking out and it's on the low level, so they're right at eye level for the kids. There's, those things are, are purposeful there. And such is the same in our spiritual life. Though we know what we want to do, temptation's all around us. Isn't it? And so it's really important that we learn how to build correctly and how to lay a good foundation for our life. So Psalm 127 is one of the psalms that was sung uh, as the, the pilgrims were ascending to Jerusalem, and there was an excitement about it. And I, th- I find it interesting, again, these psalms were written by Holy Spirit inspiration. Paul wrote to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter th- uh, 1 Timothy 3, that all scripture is given by inspiration or is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man or the person of God might be fully or thoroughly equipped or furnished, prepared for every good work. How many people know God wants us to be ready? He wants us to be thoroughly furnished, thoroughly equipped. Now, we're going to look at today about a house to build. In Psalm 127 and verse 1, Solomon, who wrote this psalm, and by the way, only two of the psalms, this I believe Psalm 74 as well, are attributed to Solomon of the psalms. Yet Proverbs records that Solomon wrote over 1,005 different psalms, 1,005, as well as about 4,000 Proverbs. Solomon had, had extensively written and two of them made it into the, the scriptures. And this is one of them. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, labor in vain. Those are some sobering words, some, some words also of instruction, aren't they? Unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. Do you know how much working is going on in our world right now? How do people know that building takes place most frequently in times of prosperity? Right? We go back a few years ago, we were in recession in this nation. The economy in Rhode Island was just stifled. Anybody remember, we were like bottom of the ladder, like 50th of the 50 states in terms of unemployment rate. My brother had moved down to, to Fort Worth, Texas, had taken a job down there about five or six years ago. I don't remember what it was now. It seems like forever. And I went down to visit there, and, and like there's nothing going on here. Everywhere you drive, there's nothing going on. And I work in an industry that's contingent upon businesses um, doing well, because our product is, is, is driven by the fact that things are going well. And I go, I'm here, nothing, it's dead everywhere. We go down to Texas, and there's buildings everywhere going up. Cranes and dump trucks, and I'll say, wow, it's a different economy down here than it is up in the Northeast. We build in times of prosperity when things are going well. And, uh, and things kind of lay dormant when things aren't going well. The danger with that is, the Bible says that in our prosperity, often the human heart goes after its own dictates. It seeks its own desires. It says of Israel, when she was recognizing her own needs, she cried out to the Lord, but when she was prosperous, she stopped seeking the Lord. And so I want to just, I want to just show you this real uh, important principle is this, that often we want to build when things are prosperous, when things are going well, but it's, it's often in those times that we're not really seeking the Lord. And the Lord says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, 
labor in vain. When things aren't going well, when things seem to be falling apart, we're crying out to the Lord. And when things are going really well, we get on cruise control and our spiritual life just becomes just like a, we go about the routines of our daily life. God wants us to be a people who learn to seek him in every season all the time and realize this principle that unless the Lord builds a house, my labor is worth nothing. It's all vain. It's all going to come collapsing down. It's all going to fail. Unless the Lord builds a house. I've been thinking about even vision of this assembly and where the Lord wants to take us. And um, I've been thinking about the aspect of what it means to build a house. And, but I know this. The first priority is that you're the house of God. You and me, we're the house of God. The Apostle Paul says that to the Corinthians, two different occasions, chapter 3, chapter 6, that you are temple of the Holy Spirit, that you are God's house. Peter wrote that you're like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices to the Lord, that you're God's house, that you're God's field, you're God's house, that we're God's house. And if the Lord's not the one building the house, if we're, if we're taking everybody else's opinions, much study doesn't always do you good. And I'm big on study. It's important that our heart maintains very close proximity to God, that we're able to hear his voice, to know where he's leading, to, to be in his word for ourselves. Don't just take other people's opinions for your spiritual progress and your spiritual life. We've been given the word of God, inspired by, breathed by God as the foundation of our lives. Amen? He wants us to learn to build on a good foundation. He wants us to learn how to build correctly. And he wants us to learn to build with disciplines that are going to be set up for the long haul, not just, not just this quick structure. You know, I, I saw recently, uh, my wife's cousin is a mayor of the town that she grew up in now. He's now the mayor of the town she grew up in. And he was writing, he, he's posted this thing about a modern architecture, how, how in comparison to the old architecture, you used to go to these old towns and old cities and everything was beautiful. The architecture was gorgeous. Now you go, everything's popped up really quickly. It's, it's got that facade plaster on top of it. It's not set up for anything that lasts. In fact, it, it goes up really quickly, provides opportunity to make money, but visually it's, it's absolutely ugly and it's not going to stand the test of time. And right now in Christianity, what we're doing is we're popping up a bunch of plastered up buildings really quickly and we're not laying a foundation for the future. We're just right now building for ourselves to enjoy our our, our moments right now. And I feel, no, it's not wise to build a house without a thought of the future. That when you lay a foundation, you lay a foundation with the thought that I want my house to be standing in 300 years. I want this foundation to be able to last and stand the test of time, right? There was a time when you built a house, that was your family's house. Like you would pass it on to your family and, or your family would add on to it. And that was the Jewish culture is actually you'd come and add a room onto the house, that we need to be those people that are preparing for the future, not just living in the immediate. Because the discipline of our lives is easier with a mindset of looking off into the future. If it's just right now, a donut sounds like a great idea. Right? True? But if I could project ahead and see that one donut leads to another donut, and I've had 365 donuts this year, and now in five years from now I'm having a coronary. Because I wasn't building for the future, I was just enjoying the immediate. Right? And now you've left your child without, without a dad or a mom because of decisions that you made not thinking about building for the future. How do you feel another guy wants us to build for the future? 
And so I want to project in, in this aspect of the Lord needs to be one to lay the foundation. So what that means is we need to hear the game plan. We need to get in touch with God. We really need to seek the Lord and hear what he has to say regarding where we're going. I believe the Lord wants to do some things in this body, but I think it's going to take some, some things that you need to see beyond right now. Right now, we're in the working out stages in about every way. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it is right now. And in order to get where we're going to go, we need to understand that we need to project further off into the future and realize that, well, I don't want to be involved right now because it doesn't look pretty. I'll get involved when it looks good. I'll, I'll, I'll plug into a place where they already have their whole act together I want to be on the ground level in the grassroots, don't you? What if we could kind of project in the fact that God has something to do and that you and I are instrumental part of what that looks like if we're willing to get our hands dirty, if we're willing to step our feet in the mud, if we're willing to, to work by the, uh, the sweat of our brow and, 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 and get a little bit calloused on our hands. How many people are willing to actually be involved in the process of doing something that's going to outlast me? Anybody? Is it not time to get engaged? To say, you know what? It's, it's not time for me to look for greener pastures. It's time for me to fertilize the lawn. Amen? To till the ground. Not time to look for a prettier structure. It's time for me to start laying a foundation so that we can set up some framework. That God wants us to be a people to prepare for the future and the first thing that matters in that building is this house right here. Amen? And I'm talking about this house in the sense of what I wear, what I, what I want, what I desire, my recreation, all those things. I'm talking about the spiritual house that is set apart for God. Because the prophet Haggai had to rebuke, if you remember, um, Zerubbabel and, uh, and those others who had been given the task of rebuilding the, temp- the, the temple and they had laid it aside because of all the opposition they were, they were facing. And Haggai the prophet came in and says, uh, is, it, is it not time to build the Lord's house? But it's time to build your own houses. He's like, you live, your houses are pretty, you paneled. You've got ornate houses, and the house of God is still just a, a pile of rubble. He said, I, w- I would ask you to consider your ways. Are you considering your ways? Are you really invested in God, or are you invested in you? But unless the Lord builds the house, all our labor is worth nothing. So... I'm not just saying get busy for the sake of getting busy. I'm saying, listen, it's right now time to seek the Lord. At the beginning of a year, is really good time to say, you know what, Lord, I need to seek you with all my heart. Because you said if I seek you with all my heart, I would find you. Anybody with me today? I just want to preach a simple message this morning. That he wants to lay the groundwork for the future. Amen? And then we ask ourselves the question, well, how does the Lord build? Well, the Lord builds... I would say he builds very methodically and strategically. How many people know there's a method to building? That you always start with the groundwork. You start with the foundation. Right? The Apostle Paul said, no foundation can any man lay but that which has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of Jesus Christ. A life that's going to be pleasing to God cannot be built upon any other foundation than Jesus Christ. It can't be built upon the Roman Catholic Church. It can't be built upon the Virgin Mary. It can't be built upon the opinions of men, the traditions of men. It can't be built upon a denominational affiliation. 
It's got to be built upon Jesus Christ. That's the only foundation that can last. Amen? It's Jesus. Our life needs to be built upon the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ. And, of course, it says built, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and doctrines, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In other words, the apostles and the prophets spoke of Jesus. He was the very corner of all their proclamation. And therefore, Christ is the foundation. Their preaching was just the, the understanding of that, the dispensing of gospel truth. To the prophets in their generation, the apostles in the New Testament generation, it was about Jesus, laying Jesus as the, as the groundwork for everything. Is Jesus the greatest love of your life? Like really, is he the most important thing, more important than anything else? Do you think about Jesus all day long? I want to ask that serious question. I mean, I'm not, because sometimes we need to return to our first love. We need to go back to that, that fanning of the flame of you know, when you were first saved, you understood that you deserve nothing. Amen? Like God did something in your life and, and there was really no reason why God was working in your life because you knew your life was an absolute mess. Like of all the times God wanted to do something and, and asking you to do something, you contrary, you did all the opposite. Like you, you ran the wrong way and yet some way, some, for some reason God's still pursuing after me and he called me in at some point, got a hold of my life to the realization that I need you, Lord. I need to lay it all down. How many people are grateful for the grace of God this morning? Amen. Aren't you grateful for the grace of God? Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. In this writing of this, Solomon, he makes it clear that it's not about human effort. In fact, in the building of the second temple, which Haggai had to rebuke the children of Israel and the leaders for their for their pause, and they paused for like 14 years before they got back active into the, what God had desired for them to do, which is to see the structure built. It could have been even longer than that. There's differences of opinions of how long of a span it had been. Long pause between the starting work, the opposition, and then the, if you're going to do anything for God, you're going to face opposition. The Apostle Paul said in, in Acts, he said this, and a great and effectual door of ministry has opened up for me. And there are many adversaries. If there's effectual ministry, there's going to be adversity. Just deal with it. Some people don't like adversity. Well, adversity, I'd rather just sit around and be casual and, and I, don't want, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. I don't want to get involved in any type of spiritual warfare. I just want to just be comfortable. But the reality is if we're going to make any headway, if we're going to see anything built that's going to have any lasting value, we need to be able to confront the powers of darkness and say, you know what, I'm not going to back down in the face of adversity. I'm going to press into Jesus. Amen? Right? Zechariah prophesied, he says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Zechariah, in reference to the building of the temple, said, not by might, not by power, not by spirit. He said, you see this mountain that lies before you, which was basically all the rubble of a city that had been destroyed, Jerusalem. You can read in Ezra and, and uh, Haggai and Zechariah and then Nehemiah, the condition of Jerusalem after the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. The city was, was laid in ruins. And he says, you see this mountain that lies before you? He said, it's going to become like a plain, for you shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. And then you're going to see the capstone laid to shouts of grace, grace to it. In other words, that the project is going to be completed by the hands of the one that I've instructed to do it. And the capstone will be laid, and the, and the capstone of we know is Jesus Christ. And what's the, what's the cries of God's people going to be? Grace. Amen? 
In other words, Lord, you're the one who built this house, right? You built this house. Some of you don't feel like you're in a really good place spiritually. Now's the time just to lay it all down before God and say, God, you be the shaper and and molder of my life. Lord, you're the potter. You carve out. You reshape the clay if that's necessary, Lord God. If you need to knock out some walls, knock out some walls, Lord God. If you need to do some reformation in my life, Lord God, then do it. I'm open and willing, God, because I want want to be your handiwork, God. I don't want to be a demonstration of what man can do. I want to be a demonstration of what you can do, God. I want to be the church of Jesus Christ, which is a proclamation to principalities and powers, right? This is the grace of God at work. Look what God can do with a sinner who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You didn't see much, but God saw something. He saw the original created design, not the, fa- the failings of sin. He saw the cause of, of, of created order in the first place, which was the, the, the purpose of God inside of man. Amen? He saw the promise of what would be fulfilled through the cross. You want a motivational speech? Get a hold of Jesus. He will speak into your life. Life that lasts and is eternal. Unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. I was uh, sharing at Sunday school, there's basically three aspects of a building. You've got the foundation, you have the structure itself, and then you have the furnishings. And, and the cool thing is that all I need to do is submit it to God and he'll fill it all. He'll do all the work if we're willing to lay it before him. God's not impressed by self-made men. He's not impressed by, by greatly motivated people. In fact, it's interesting that God often uses the people that seem to be the least motivated. And his grace gets into their life, and now they're motivated not to do their own will, but the will of God. Right? That's not an encouragement for laziness, because I don't believe in laziness. I believe that we should be engaged in the will of God. Amen? If you turn your Bible quickly, Ephesians. Chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the, to the church at Ephesus. This would actually be a letter that would be passed, I believe, to the churches all over Asia Minor and, and other places. I believe that there was a, it was a letter that was sent out from here. So Ephesians doesn't deal specifically with just one church, but the church at large. God's people. We can read from verse 1. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also you once conducted, we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and thus we were by nature the children of wrath, just as everybody else who's not a believer. He said that we were, we were moved by the desires of the flesh and the mind. How many people know that the mind is one of our greatest enemies? It can be. It can also be one of our greatest friends if we learn to use it correctly. And the mind can lust after evil things. In fact, you ever notice 
that your mind can keep replaying. If you want something, it's like you can't get that thing out of your mind. Does anybody, anybody in here know what I'm talking about? That like you wanted it and, and you want it and you can't stop thinking about it until you have it? But verse 4 says, but God. Can you say, but God? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. And he raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, you who are aliens and strangers from God and, and actually under the wrath of God, now he said he seated you up in heavenly places with Christ. That's incredible, isn't it? You were dead, and now not only you're alive, you're reigning with Christ. That's an amazing work of grace. Verse 7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The exceeding riches of that grace is going to be, is going to be demonstrated in the day where, where Christ reveals his kindness towards his people. If you think you've had any, any aspect of good in this life, just wait and see what God's prepared for those who love him. Mind is not conceived of it. Eye has not seen it. Ear has not heard it. It hasn't even entered into the heart of men, the things God's prepared for those who love him. But he's revealed it by the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, and knows the mind of the Lord. And he's revealing things to us. In other words, when you feel the drawings of the Spirit to move into God, it's the Spirit saying, listen, you got way better things than the things that this world is pulling at you. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved by faith, or through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Where's workmanship? In fact, that word... Workmanship um, is the word from which we get our English word poetry or, or poem. That God's writing our lives to demonstrate his goodness, grace. I want to read something here as we move in towards closing. Oswald Chambers writes, speaking of God's workmanship and uh, his works, he wrote, No man can be saved by praying, by believing, by obeying or by consecration. Salvation is a free gift of God's almighty grace. Salvation is a free gift of God's almighty's grace. You can't earn it by setting your life apart, by praying, by reading the Bible, by doing anything that you think is even right. You can't earn God's grace. We have the sneaking idea that we earn things and get into God's favor by what we do, by our praying, by our repentance. The only way we get into God's favor is by the sheer gift of his grace. The first thing we consciously experience is a sense of undeservedness. But it does take some time. But it does take some of us a long time to know we don't deserve to be saved. Isn't that the truth? Some of us it takes a long time to realize we didn't deserve it. I really am sorry for what I've done wrong. I really am sick of myself. If only I am sick enough of myself, I will be sick to death. I'm driven to despair. I can do nothing. Then I'm exactly in the place where I can receive the overflowing grace of God. When I get to the place of I'm sick of myself and realize that apart from God, I can't do anything because unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor are labor in vain. I want to just catch this for a moment. We can't do anything. 
so much of our life is, is driven by this need to earn approval by our performance. It's been ingrained in us, many of us in our homes. Like, if I perform well, then I'll be accepted. If I do the right thing, then I'll, I'll receive the reward. But if I mess up, you know, I'm going to get a beating or, or I'm, I'm going to be rejected or I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to measure up, I'm going to be looked down on, I'm going to feel the shame of it all. We feel that way. We've experienced that. But God's saying that it's not based upon our performance at all. We've got to understand more and more. We've got to grasp this concept of grace, that grace is God's working in our life completely undeserved. We didn't earn it. We weren't born into it but we were born again into it. God did a work in our lives that we didn't deserve. We were powerless apart from God. If I could communicate this enough, because this is where we got to get to the place of realizing. We recognize our powerlessness, but we also recognize his unsurpassing power. So confronted with our powerlessness, powerless to perform what is pleasing in the eyes of God and his power, which is able to take dead things and make them alive. It's God's grace. Check this out. You guys know. My wife and I, we, we've been married 17 years, and we've desired to have biological children to this point. We've tried to no avail. You know, you, you move on in life, and you experience good seasons. We're in, a, we're in a good season right now in our family. I'm enjoying it very much. But you know what? It, 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 doesn't, um, it doesn't take away the memory of the bad times. The times where you're laying and in, in, in getting ready to go to bed, and your wife is literally crying herself to sleep because... In her heart, there's a longing and a desire just to be a mom, and, and you can't give her the very things that you want because the things that you just took for granted, because sometimes we just think just, things just come. They're just supposed, that's just the way things happen. You don't realize that everything that happens in our life is actually a gift from God, everything. The fact that you walked in here on your own power, that's a gift of God. You take that for granted often. The fact that you're breathing, breathing right now air and, you're, and your heart is beating and you're actually able to move your body, that, that's a gift from God. And sometimes we take those things for granted. We don't realize this, that we are, we are completely, even, even, when we were, even before we were in, fully in the grace of God, we were experiencing the grace of God. We were experiencing things that we didn't deserve. We didn't deserve it at all. But I was confronted with this reality. And I remember laying there, and I don't say anything to my wife, but I'm just talking to God, say, God, I can't do and I can't give the one I love more than anybody else in this world the very things that she desires. I have no power to do this. I can't do it. There's nothing I can do to make this happen. You know, it, it, Solomon was, was very familiar with the story of Abraham. Abraham, if you think about it, all the years of his life, desiring and yearning to lay up something beyond himself. And then God shows up on the scene and says, I'm going to do what you couldn't do. What you think is impossible, I'm going to make it a reality. You thought you were too far gone. You thought the promise was gone. You thought you had no power to do it. Everything you seemed like, it seemed like nothing could happen. And God says, you know what? Unless the Lord builds a house, unless the Lord's the one who establishes a house, then all your labor's worth nothing. We're completely dependent upon him. The greatest lesson I ever learned in my life is this. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. Sometimes I think I can. But I've learned in my life, there's a lot of things I've learned in my life, but I know this. I can't do anything to please God. Unless the Lord builds a house, I, I labor in vain. So I know this, that if grace of God is not at work within my life, I'm sunk. But when I begin to understand that God's grace is at work within my life, I don't have to pray to please him to give it to me. I pray because he has, in fact, given me 
what I don't deserve, and I just want relationship with the one who loves me so much. You understand? It, it changes the dynamic of our life. Like, I want to live a life that's pleasing to him because he did in my life what no one else could do. He gave to me what no one else could give. And I, my desire now is that he desires for me to be holy and he understands something that I can't do that on my own accord. I can't make it happen. I can't follow a strict set of commandments and say, I'm just going to square my shoulders back and I'm going to do what God desires for my life. I've learned this this stage in my life. That's not going to happen. I need God's grace. Unless he builds the house, all my labor's worth nothing. You with me today? And I translate that into, I'm not in a rush for anything anymore in my life. I want, to st- I want to learn to be in step with the Spirit of God. Because I know that God can make things happen so quick that took so long. I said God can do things so quick that took so long. And thus the instruction, do not grow weary in doing well. For just at the right time, God will reward you if you don't give up. At just the right time, God's going to meet you there. If you keep doing what God asked you to do, even when it seems like nothing's happening, like, Lord, everything, everything is worth nothing. It seems like all vanity. God's like, I'm teaching you a lesson when you learn to just get a hold of the fact of God's grace. Anybody with me today? If I could preach to you grace, just grace. Grace isn't a license to sin. It's an invitation into his life. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need to close. God is able to make all grace abound unto you, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Chambers goes on to say this, in talking to people, you'll be amazed to find that they much more readily listen to you if you talk on the line of suffering, of the attacks of the devil, But get on the triumphant line of the Apostle Paul. Talk about the super-conquering life about God making all his divine grace abound, and they lose interest. That is all in the clouds, a sheer indication that they have never began to taste the unfathomable joy that is awaiting them if they will only take it. All the great prevailing grace of God is ours for the drawing on, and it scarcely needs any drawing on. Take out the stopper and it comes out in torrents. And yet we just managed to squeeze out ah, just enough grace for the day. Sinning in thought, word, and deed every day. You don't find that note in the New Testament. We have to keep in light as God is in the light, and the grace of God will supply supernatural life all the time. Thank God there's no end to his grace if we will keep in the humble place. The overflowing grace of God has no limits, and we have to set no limits to it but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. How many people know that God, he meets with the humble. He responds to the humble. You could have made an absolute, absolute mess of your life. You, you could have been spending the last 20 years running the wrong direction, even though you knew God was calling you. And you know what you need to do? You need to fall in the arms of God. And you need to realize this, that God's grace has never run out. It's never, and it never will run out. 
chamber says take out the stopper. In other words, take out the cork, and you'll find out it's not going to just drip out. It's not going to just drip out. It's going to flow out, you know? It's going to overflow in your life. The grace of God is so much a part of the life of the believer. If they would just open up their hearts to this realization, God sent his son, Jesus. He's the only means of our salvation. He's the only one who can take us where we belong to go. He's the only one who can reconcile us to the Father because he took all our sin on him on the cross. Don't you thank God for Jesus this morning? Let us be a people who unstop the grace of God and let it flow. How people are ready to see God's grace manifest in my life? I don't want to just scrape by. How are you doing today? I'm hanging on. How about I'm, I'm overcoming? How about I'm on top of it? How about I'm conquering? And I'm going out to conquer. Wouldn't you like to hear that more often? How you doing? I'm sad. No, I'm joyful. I'm expectant. I'm saved. By the grace of God, I'm saved. Amen. How many people know God wants us to be a joyful people? Triumphant in him. Why? Because you did a good job? No, because you serve a God who's done it all. And all I did was... Yeah. And all I did was praise him. And all I did was worship And all I did was bow down. And all I did was lay here. Stay here. All I did. That's all I did. Because doing it God's way is so much better than our way. Can you receive the grace of God in your heart this morning? By grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. Christ came into this world to save sinners. The Apostle Paul said, I'm chief. I knew that. I know I didn't deserve it. And thus Paul could be a preacher of grace because he knew he didn't deserve it. Anybody believe they don't deserve it? How many people receive it this morning? You know what? The grace of God will change you like nothing else. It will. I could go on to legalism, strict commandments of righteousness earned by performance. It was all a trap. It was a trap set up by men. And God says, you know what? What you could not do when you were powerless, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of God might be fulfilled in us who learn not to walk after the flesh but after the spirit, unless the Lord builds a house. How people know God's house is a spiritual house? It might not look much from the outside, but Jesus is on the inside. Amen? In my dad's day and age, they used to make you know, cars with big engines in it at the time of muscle cars and when a car didn't look too much on the outside, but it had all the good stuff on the inside, they called it a sleeper. Some of us might just be that. You don't look like much from the outside. Oh, but if you knew what was on the inside, you wouldn't take it for granted. Can you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, what could we do? What could we build for you? He said, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What kind of house are you going to build for me? He said, my hands have made all these things, and yet to this one will I look. He is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. Lord, would we tremble at the reality, Lord God, that you love me so much. May that be the trembling point. You love me so much, and your grace is what changes me. Help me to receive grace, Lord God. Help me not to receive, Lord God, 
the things in the mind that say, I have to earn, I have to do a better job, I need to get my act together, and may we finally fall upon the rock in brokenness so that we might experience your healing touch. Lord, thank you for your grace this morning. We're blown away at how much you love us. And Lord, we are thoroughly convinced of the fact, Lord, that you're going to build a house and we're all going to stand back and say, my goodness, I can't believe you built that from us. I can't believe you did that in me. How did you do that, God? Lord, that we will be a demonstration of your goodness always. And we'll give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. How many people want to live on some grace this week? Amen. Just grace. Just that. Just just receive it. Just, Just receive it. Just receive it. The reality is this. If God was after you, you wouldn't, you'd be dead already. But he's chasing after you that you would understand. He loves you so much. Stop running the wrong direction. Stop seeking earthly things and stop getting ahead of yourself. And just stay in God's presence. Get into God's presence. Learn to discern his voice. Learn to understand his heart. Learn to understand how much he loves you. Learn to discern the word of God. Learn to be a student. Learn spiritual disciplines that are going to help you to reprogram those thoughts that come in. Because guess what? They're going to come in. As soon as you walk out this door, performance mentality is going to kick in again. And you have to remind yourself, you know what? God did for me what I could not do. And when I was powerless, he came and saved me. Amen? If you don't know Jesus Christ personally this morning, I'll give you an opportunity. It's just simple. If we confess with our heart, or if we believe in our heart, the Lord Jesus, and confess with our mouth, then we'll be saved. We believe that Jesus came, God, incarnate, born of a virgin, born as the perfect man, so that he could take my sin upon the cross, bear my penalty, so that he could give to me life eternal. Whoever believes in Christ has everlasting life. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we're saved. You have to believe. You have to believe that I believe this is so. God, I believe that you have saved me through Jesus. I believe that the penalty you bore on the cross was for my sin, and I received that grace right now. Would you do that? I just received that grace. Just arms wide open. I receive it. Let's get the stopper off. Let's let the, let's let the torrents of God's river begin to flow. Amen. Don't you want those torrents to begin to flow? Amen. God will go with you and be blessing you and prospering you in every way. As you begin to say, there's a mighty river flowing. There's a mighty river flowing. It's flowing right through this place. And it's full of passion, full of glory. It's full of grace. It's full of grace. It's full of grace. God bless you. Man, I'll talk about grace all day long. So get out of here and, and, and walk in it. Amen. Remember, you're a workmanship. You're his poetry. You're his poem. He's speaking things through you. So let that grace be dispensed. Let it be dispensed. Let it come out. Let God's work be at work within you. Amen.